can grab a seat. If you've got a Bible, we're going to be starting Luke chapter 22 this morning. So Luke chapter 22. And I'm sure uh, it's been mentioned a couple times that we lost an hour of sleep. And I'm going to be really honest, last night around uh, 6 o'clock, I was changing all my watches and clocks in my house and thinking about, man, I've got to preach tomorrow on less than an hour's sleep. And then I was thinking of why would Michael be out of town on this particular Sunday? And then it kind of hit me that he's probably, you know, pretty smart giving me the hour of less sleep. But uh, just kidding. I know he didn't do that on purpose. But anyway. So we're going to be in Luke 22 this morning. We're continuing a series called Return to Me. Uh, but I've got to start with a little bit of a story to get us to a certain place. Uh, when I was in seventh grade, I attended Brown Middle School, which I often refer to as Brad Brown Penitentiary because you pull up to it. It's got really small windows, okay? And one of the classes I loved was science, which was in seventh grade. And as happens in it seemed like every class coming up th- through school, there was always the one kid in the room that was kind of a little bit of, I don't want to say a troublemaker, but let's just say he got a lot of negative responses from the teacher often. Um, He was the one that was always talking when you weren't supposed to be talking, or when the teacher would turn around, this particular student might hit another student in the head with a marker or something of that nature. And I can remember there was this one very clear instance where it's one of those moments where somebody gets in trouble and the whole room just freezes. And i got to kind of set this up, okay, because this is one of those moments, like if I think back to the moment where I thought a teacher was actually going to annihilate a student, this was it, okay, because this, this guy had kind of been asking for it all throughout uh, the year, and it was one of those moments where it was a perfect scenario because the teacher was teaching us, and she got up there, and she said, all right, class, I need you to read from page here to page here. I've got to step out of the room for a minute. And you could almost hear like the dun-dun-dun being played in my head at this moment because I knew I'd been in the room long enough. I know, okay, this guy's getting ready to do something ridiculous, okay? And it was him, and he had his friend, and his friend's name was David. And um, since I grew up in this area, in, in, this, in this area, I changed the names to protect the innocent people who are now pastors. Um, and so anyway, so he's sitting there with him and his friend. The teacher walks out. And it's quiet for a minute. And I'm like, this is, this is a little weird. Okay, nothing crazy is going to happen. And she's just going around the corner, so maybe we'll be okay. And his friend looks at him, or this guy looks at his friend David, and he says, hey, David, table surfing. I'm going, what? I don't really understand what's about to happen because we were in science class, and you've got these big, big sturdy tables with a slate black top, and they're all lined up with each other, like down the row. And all of a sudden, this guy stands up, and he walks to the door. And he tells everybody on my row to take their stuff off the desk. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, uh, I don't know what's about to happen. And so most of the stuff's off the desk. And all of a sudden, this guy gets a run and start. He leaps, he supermans, belly slides across the table, and falls off and hits the floor. And I'm sitting there like, did this really just happen? Like, I don't know, I kind of don't know what to do because I was a good student. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm watching this, and I'm like, Oh, goodness. Well, then his friend comes, and his friend, like, kind of half misses, and he falls off halfway. Well, then he gets lined up again, and this guy gets another run and start. He dives. He makes it all the way to the end, and at the moment where he's about suspended air about in air about to fall, we're all looking this way, and we hear from the doorway, Mr. Leonard. And you hear the guy hit the floor. Boom. And he stands up, and his back's to the door. And you hear our teacher, she's sitting there, she's looking at him, and she's just got, like, the worst look in her eyes ever. Like, I'm like, I'm going to see this guy's life end right now. 
And this funny thing happens, okay, because he knows. He knows he's toast. Most of us in the class think, well, we're never going to see him again. And so the teacher's sitting there, and she's got this death lock on him, and he stands up, and his back's to her, and she keeps saying, turn around. And he just freezes. It's like he knows in that moment, as soon as he turns around, it's over. Now, let's stop the story right there for a minute, because we're going to dive into a point, an attribute in this series we've been talking about called Return to God. And as Michael was talking last week, and as he was talking the week before that, and I was thinking about this concept, this idea of when we, in our relationship with God, develop that distance. We develop that point where we're not as close to God as we used to be. Or like Michael kind of said last week, are we living off a flame spiritually that happened a long time ago, and now it feels like we're far away from God? Because I've been there numerous times in my spiritual walk. I've been at that place where I can say and I can use that verbiage that talks about a relationship that I'm not as close to God as I used to be, or I don't feel like I'm where I need to be in my relationship with God. And it kind of feels like that moment that I imagined that that student had where all of a sudden he's falling off the end of the desk and he's walking the other direction and the teacher's behind him and he's just not turning around because he doesn't want to look back because as soon as he looks back, he knows something it started asking me, started getting this question in my brain the last couple of weeks as we were looking over this. What is it that stops us from returning? What is it about our spiritual walk in that moment where we probably even know what we need to do, but we just don't? We're sitting there, and this distance has been created. We're not as close to God as we used to be. We're not living the way we feel like we should be living. There's this distance that's there, and it could be for a long period of time. It could be for days, months, weeks, years, decades. Where it's almost like you and your relationship with God is almost at this like occasional, factual, like, yes, you acknowledge him, and he's this, and he's all that, but you're still not at that point you know you need to be at in your walk with him. And so we get to this point where all of a sudden there's like this hitch where God's over there, and we've kind of like are been keeping our distance a little bit, and we're just not making the turn. Like we're just not turning around. And we'll come on a Sunday morning like this, and it almost like it weighs on us a little bit. Like maybe the music's really good, maybe the message is really good, or on a more theological basis, maybe the Spirit of God's moving and provoking you within a moment. But you know if you can hang on for 35 more minutes at this point, that you can get distracted and not have to think about it. So what stops us from making that turn? What stops us from returning to that deep personal relationship that we once knew or we once had because we accepted Christ, we know him, but there's this tension because life didn't go the way we wanted it to, and now we're here and, and he's there, and it's, and it's not that we don't believe, it's just we're not close. You see, this is where the pastor gets up here and he mentions this word, and this word's Repentance. The practice of repentance, the idea that you change the way you act, you change the way you feel, you change the way you think, and you return and go back to God. When we look at the passage in Zechariah 1, 3 that you're going to be reading this week in the prayer guide that we're reading up to Easter, it says, Therefore say to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. He's talking to the nation of Israel who repetitively does this over and over again, and the message is pretty simple. All you have to do to get close to him is return to him, but there's something holding us up. I really started thinking about that this week. Because as a pastor, 
I know you've been to church a lot, and I know there's a lot of people in here who have, who have heard sermons, and you've heard the word repentance, and immediately you think we're going to a place where you're either going to feel conviction or guilt. That I'm going to be up here, and I'm going to talk to you about basically some type of behavior modification. That's not our goal this morning. I want to go somewhere completely different this morning. Because I fully believe God wants to remind you of something that I think could be the catalyst in helping you finally go, you know what, I'm going to turn around. I'm going to face him. And look, I don't know what's going on in your life this morning. I don't know what the holdup is. I don't know that it's just been so long since you really genuinely reconnected with God that you're just kind of scared. Maybe you forgot how. Maybe you don't feel adequate. Maybe the reality of the sin that's in your life, you just feel that weight and that guilt, and it seems insurmountable. And you know that if you return to him, then you're just going to leave again. I don't know what it is. But I do feel like I've got to remind you of something this morning. For that, we're going to look at a story. We're going to look at the story of Peter. Because Easter's coming up, and we've got the Easter story, Jesus' death and resurrection, and Passion Week, and all this stuff. But I want to look at what happens with Peter during this time. Because Peter's kind of a big figure within Scripture. He's the rock. He's the one that God says he's going to establish his church on and through. But Peter has a really interesting time when we're talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus. He has a really difficult time with this plan being executed. And so we pick up in Luke 2, and we're going to start in verse 31. And just to kind of let you know what's happening, okay, this is the Passover meal. They're in the upper room, okay? They just established communion, the Lord's Supper. God's been, I mean, Jesus has been talking to his disciples. He's been telling them what's getting ready to go on. He's been praying for them and all these other things. And in the midst of this conversation, he looks at Peter, and in verse 31, he says this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter's getting ready to go through something. And Jesus knows that Peter's getting ready to go through something. And so he's kind of giving Peter a heads up. That that difficult time is coming right ahead of you. Because you think life's going to go this way and instead it's going to go that way. You think it's going to play out like this, and instead it's going to play out like this. And Peter looks at him, and he makes a bold proclamation. Verse 33, Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Peter looks at Jesus and says, my life is yours. I am 100% with you no matter what. Like, can you imagine the defensive emotion within Peter's voice? He's affirming, once again, his commitment to follow Christ no matter what happens. And then Jesus says something to him. Verse 34, Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny, me three, deny three times that you know me. I want you to pay really close attention to the wording there. The ESV is what I'm reading from, and it reads it this way. You will deny three times that you know me. Notice Jesus does not say, you will deny three times who I am. 
he says you'll deny three times that you know me, and that's a really important point. Just sidetrack for just a minute. You've got to understand something. When we're talking about a saving relationship with Christ, we're not talking about knowing facts about who he is. We're talking about knowing him personally. That's why James talks about you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. That's why he says in Matthew to a group of people that talk about all the religious things they did, he says, depart from me. You never knew me. We're talking about a personal relationship here. We're not talking about what you've done for God. That's works-based. We're not talking about behavior modification. If you start with just changing your behavior for the goal being, I want to change this behavior, we're humans. We fail. It's got to be something more than that. It's got to be out of our love and a relationship. And so Jesus blatantly tells him, you're going to deny that you even know me. You're going to say you don't have a relationship with me three times before the rooster crows, before morning. Within the next 12 hours, Peter, you're going to say this. And, and here's the deal, like, don't read into this tone that I told you so parenty teacher thing. Like, I don't read this and look at this and go, Jesus is saying this like, no, nope, no, you're not. I read this with the brokenness that he has, with the sadness, because you see, he's been praying for Peter. His desire is a relationship with Peter and for Peter to choose a relationship with him. And so he's been praying for him, crying out to his father that when he gets through this trial, he'll be the leader that he needs him to be. And so the night goes on. We don't have time to read all the way through it, but I'll just kind of summarize what's going to be happening. They go out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus begins to pray. Judas shows up. Judas has a bunch of guys with him. Judas walks up to Jesus. He kisses him on the cheek, identifies that, yes, this is Jesus. And then all these guys move in. There's this moment that actually happens. I'll read this one, one verse back here. Back in verse 49. And when those around him, meaning the disciples standing around Jesus, saw what, what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. We learned from one of the other gospels that that disciple that had the sword, you know, he's got his killed carry right here. Or it's more Davidson County than that. It's a sword. So it's just like an open carry. And probably he's been playing in his mind of like, okay, this is that moment. Because you got to remember, they thought that there was this political military move coming in. And when he said, hey, Jesus, I'm with you, it was with the plan Peter had in his head of how this was going to go. And so these guys walk up, and they're about to take Jesus. And he goes, all right, it's game time. And he doesn't wait for an answer, and he just strikes. And at this moment, the plan changes. The plan never changed, but at least for Peter, what he thought was going to happen. See, he thought he was going to war in a physical sense. Jesus says, no, we're not going to do that. And he heals him. Heals the high priest servant right there. You can imagine Peter sitting there, and he's got his sword out, and there's probably still blood on the end of it, and he's just like, what? Wait, what's happening? 
This isn't how I thought this life was going to go. See, because here's the thing. I think definitely as a believer, and I think it's also true for all humans, we think at some point that life's going to go this way, and then it shifts. And for a lot of us spiritually, that's where we got off track. We were on board with our life going this way and doing this happening and then this happening and our relationship with God happening like this and me continuing to be able to do this. But then when it shifted, we got out of rhythm. Something happened and we weren't able to be at the place that we once were to get spiritually fed or the time or this happened or mentally we were just struggling with this and it's so much harder to focus in here. And then all of a sudden our relationship is put to the test and it's sifted. And somehow we've ended up with that distance again. And we're scared to turn around because if we turn around, like, we're going to turn around, but we need to know what's going to happen because, like, we have control issues, or at least I do. It's like, God, I just, I don't need you to tell me, like, what the little bitty next step is. I need you to show me the whole plan, and then I'll follow you. See, Peter's really stuck right here. He doesn't know what's happening. We flip over, and in Luke 54, it gets real in a hurry because they take Jesus I'll just read verse 54. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I do not know him. There it is, the first denial of knowing him. Peter, in this moment when he's surrounded by strangers, they point him out, wait, aren't you one of the Galileans that was with Jesus? And just to give you a heads up, like culturally at this time, if they're in Jerusalem with the Passover and everything going on, there's a lot of people there, but it's pretty obvious that he's a Galilean. And therefore, it's probably pretty obvious that he was with Jesus and this other group that was coming in. And this woman sits there and she points him out and says, hey, aren't, aren't you one of his disciples? And he goes, woman, I, I don't know him. See, and Peter enters into a dangerous game. Because Peter suddenly identifies with somebody that he doesn't know, that he doesn't think matters, that no, nah, I, I don't know him. He creates that distance. He denies the relationship. Now, let's think through this for a minute. I mean, because this is what we do, right? I mean, we can do this on a Sunday morning even. You can come in here and you can hear the Word of God taught. You can hear all these verses sung about God. And you can be told by Michael or whoever's speaking that, hey, this is something that you need to do if you're a believer. And what do we do? We just kind of blank our minds out. We try not to think about it. And we begin to develop this practice where the Holy Spirit moves within us, but we just kind of deny listening to it. And the more you practice it, the better at it you get, and the harder it is to get back, right? Because you develop a habit. So every time you're tempted and you give in, all of a sudden you're just training yourself that it takes less temptation to give in. And you practice denying that you know him. 
See, it gets scary. For Peter, it doesn't stop. Verse 458, and a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after it had been about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. Third time. Third time Peter denies him. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Imagine the feeling right then. All right, now let's just clarify something. Remember that story about the teacher walking through and she's got the look of death at the student of how dare you and there's anger and all that stuff? That's not the look Jesus has given right there. Like in that moment, I... I fail to see is what we know about Jesus, that he's turning around and he's going, going the, told you so. Like this isn't the argument with a family member or a parent or a child or whatever that's, that's trying to use Scripture to prove themselves right. I feel like in this moment, Jesus is looking up and he hurts for Peter. Because he knows in this moment, Peter's realized what he's done. You imagine in Peter's mind, I mean, he's just denied, as Jesus already told him he would. He's denied that he even knows this guy. In the Gospel of Matthew, when they have that conversation later on, Peter even says the phrase, you know, when he's sitting there saying, like, hey, I'll go with you to death, he even says, even though everybody else leaves you, I will not. But he just did. And him and Jesus have that eye contact there for a moment. It gets intense right then. In verse 61, And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. See, Peter's faith not where he thought it was. And so he gets out of there. He splits. He creates distance. See, he knows he sinned. He knows he messed up. He knows he rebelled. And he just gets out of there. And then you can imagine later on, obviously he hears that Jesus died. And he comes back and he's with the rest of the disciples. And man, I don't even know if the rest of the disciples know what happened. I mean, later on they obviously do because many of them recorded it. But in this moment in time in history, as he's sitting there in the room and he's grieving and Jesus is dead and he doesn't really know what's going on and they're all hiding and they're sitting there in fear and he's sitting there and he's going like, wait, my last interaction with Jesus was me denying him with three times and him knowing it. But I mean, is that so different from where we're sitting right now? We used to be so very close with God. It was like we were all just like right here and then we moved away. And the last interaction we had was with us rebelling against him. And there's still that distance there, but we're still just not quite ready to turn around. And we're at that level of brokenness. But the good news for us and for Peter is that's not the end of the story. 
said, like, listen to me right now. We're not ending on you feeling guilty this morning. We're not ending on you feeling convicted this morning. See, because Jesus died on the cross and rose again. So let me summarize what happened there. Jesus dealt with the eternal penalty of Peter's sin. So let me free you up a little bit this morning. I'm going to hammer on this a little bit here and alone because there's more to it than that. You know that sin that you're so afraid to turn around and fess up to to deal with? You know that addiction, that habit that you formed? That visual image you have of the life you should be leading versus the life you are leading? But you're so scared to turn around? Yeah, God's already dealt with that sin. You're not turning around to an angry God. You're not returning to somebody who's going to sit there and told you, I told you so. You're turning around to a God who loves you and wants to restore a relationship with you. Because look what happens. If you flip over all the way to John 21, we know that Jesus rose again and he appeared to some of the disciples. And he appeared quite a few times. But we never hear about him and Peter really having this conversation about what happened that night until we get to John 21. And you want me to give you a beautiful picture of how much God loves us and comes after us? Peter did not even know him three times. And then we get to chapter 21, and you've got a group of disciples, and this is going to start to sound really familiar if you're familiar with the Gospels and how Jesus originally called Peter to follow him you got a group of disciples fishing in a boat, and they haven't caught anything. We pick up in verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, and yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the nets on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garments, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. See, I think Peter remembers that first time Jesus was walking on the sea and said, Hey, throw the notes, throw the nets on the other side. It was the beginning of an amazing relationship. And so now we get a mirror image of that, except this time Peter's so excited to see Jesus. He just jumps over in his clothes and goes 100 yards to shore. He runs to him. And so they sit down and they have breakfast and they're not done yet. Okay? Understand right now, okay? Peter has sinned. But God's way of dealing with that is not just going like, oh, I forgot it, it never happened. You know, there's a song like a couple decades ago that was talking about our sin as far as the east is from the west. Okay, that passage is actually talking about the cleanliness that we receive through the grace of Christ. But there's this one line in it that kind of bugs me, okay? It's called, what sin? Okay, it just rubs me a little funny, all right? Because I'm sitting there and I'm going like, wait a minute, so like, we sin and Jesus died on the cross and then God just like forgets? That doesn't work. 
See, because here's the deal. Not only has God dealt with your sin eternally, he's going to walk with you through the consequences of your sin now. Because when it comes to rebellion and moving away from God and sin and all those things, there's an eternal penalty, which is eternal separation from God and death. But he dealt with that. That's been dealt with. He died on the cross for our sins and then rose from the grave to overcome death. But there's also a reality that God built us, he designs us, he knows how we live best, and that while we're on this earth, there are consequences to sin. There are things that we still have to work through when you work into darkness. Because for some of us, we've built habits that are sinful, that are rebellious, and we've got to overcome those. So he's not just sitting there going like, okay, it's all forgotten. It's so much more loving and relational than that. He's ready to deal with it and walk with us through it. Because look what happens with Peter in verse 15 of John chapter 21. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Three times he denied. And Jesus knew. And three times he's affirmed. Okay, this isn't like a one-for-one one that made up for the sin. And once again, Jesus handled the penalty of sin on the cross. Okay, this is not Peter earning his way back, proving his way back. Jesus is having this conversation for Peter's sake. Because he's renewing the relationship. He's affirming in Peter, I still love you. Because listen to what he says right after this. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young and you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Because earlier Peter said, I'll follow you to prison and to death, and he didn't. Now he affirms in Peter. Your death is going to glorify me. And then he says something crazy. At the end of verse 19, and after saying this, he said to him, follow me. He says the same thing to Peter that he said way back in the beginning of the gospel when he was calling him to be his disciple. Relationship renewed. Jesus comes to him after his sin, once he's died on the cross and paid the penalty for that eternally. He comes to Peter on the shore, and they walk right back through it to a restored and renewed relationship. I'm not talking about one of those things where you just, like, you know somebody, and there was this rub, like, a long time ago, and so for the rest of your life, your relationship with this person has that little bit of, like, we're not going to talk about this. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a 100% honest, open, and restored relationship between Peter and Jesus. 
And here's the thing. Like there's a lot of times we talk about this distance and this walking away from God and that we're not as we're close to be. And mentally in our heads, this, this is what we do. We think like, okay, it's us and God and we're close, right? Okay, just vi- visually think through this. And we're right here and then we all of a sudden get rebellious and we start walking away and God's still over there and then all this. And I'm sitting up here talking about repenting and returning. And then you turn around and you look back and Man, God's all the way over there, and now I've got to jump through all these hoops, and i got to remember how to walk back, and I've got to figure all this out, and then finally, if I do all this stuff, then I'll get back to where I used to be. That's not how it works. See, because while we're being rebellious and walking away, and we're kind of like doing this like fake Christian relationship thing, and then all of a sudden we get right here, all we have to do is turn around because he's right here with us. We're not jumping through hoops. We don't serve and love a Savior and God who's sitting there tapping his foot angry at us because we're not behaving the way he wants us to. See, the relationships comes first and the behaviors take care of themselves. But for a lot of us this morning, man, we got to make the turn. We've got to quit being stubborn about it. We've got to quit imagining all this false stuff that we're going to have to jump through hoops and it's impossible and I can't get back there. And you got to quit believing the lie that you'll never be back there or that you can't be there. you got to understand, we serve a God who loves us. And he came after us. In our sin and our rebellion, while we were still sinners and far from God, he sent his son Jesus on this earth to die on the cross for our sins so that we might have a restored relationship with God. Not know facts about him and live the way we want to. But we love and have a relationship with a Savior. You want to know how to get past your addiction? Fall in love with God. The reality is we live in a sinful, broken world. And we're sinners within us. And as long as we're on this earth, there's always going to be an internal sinful desire to move away from God and seek things that are not of Him. And we're going to make mistakes. But here's what I need you to hear this morning. I'm not going for behavior modification. We're going for relationship restoration. Maybe this morning it's time for you to make that turn. Maybe a long time ago you professed that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. But because you haven't lived up, you know there's this distance there. And you've never turned around and realized that God loves you. He's with you. He wants to know you. And that's why you turn around. That's why you return to Him. Because His yoke is easy and His burden is light. But the lie in your brain right now is telling you that's not it.
God loves you. He sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. He's not the angry teacher sitting at the door tapping his foot, staring lasers in the back of your head because you messed up. He's looking at you the same way he looked at Peter. That when you hurt, he feels it. He doesn't want you to continue down a path of sinful hurt, pain, and destruction. And this is the point in the sermon where, man, it gets really practical. And I can sit here and I can talk about, like, you need to be reading your Bible in quiet time and be here on Sundays and worship and join a group and all that other stuff, but you know that stuff. What I'm talking about right now is that hang-up that you have that's keeping you from turning around. But what are you turning around to? You're turning around to a God who loves you and wants to know you personally and intimately. A God who knows that you have sinned and that you struggle with sin and has already dealt with the eternal consequences of your sin and is ready to walk through you with the rest of this life, figuring out how to navigate it and overcome it and deal with it. When we talk about the earthly consequences of sins, there's things that we can work through that God can actually use when he talks to other people because there are a lot of people in this world that don't know him, that thinks that a group room full of Christians are trying to play like they're perfect. And occasionally maybe they need to hear one of us sit there and go, you're like, you know what, I really struggle. But man, that struggle is nothing compared to knowing Christ. You know, sit there, you want to talk about the problems in the world. Well, you know what overcomes that? A love and deep and intimate relationship with God. So why are we going to torture ourselves with our back to God, just going like, no, I don't want to make the turn? So I don't know what I'm asking of each of you this morning. This morning, I'm fully going to trust that the Holy Spirit is working in you the same way he's worked in you before. That he's prodding you, he's provoking you, he's letting you know that God's just waiting on you to turn around. He's waiting on you to walk outside of this room, go home this afternoon, fall on your knees, and cry out to him. That this is not just an emotional church service, or maybe we just have sleep deprivation, so I'm a little overly emotional this morning, and these feelings inside. I want the Holy Spirit to work in you this morning, but this morning I want you to listen. I want you to hear that, you're, that the spirit within you that's talking to you is coming from a loving God who wants to know you.